0: Father God, we begin by acknowledging and confessing individually and corporately that we are sinners and that under our sin is the pride which compels us to live in defiance and disobedience and disrespect and disregard of who you are and how you've created us to live. So, dear Father God, we ask for the gift today of humility We ask that the life of Jesus would be a great example for us, and even more importantly, the means by which we are saved from our sinful pride. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to enable us to be men and women who live lives of repentant humility in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, during these 40 days of Lent... We've journeyed a bit in the wilderness with Jesus Christ and looked a little bit about what it means to be tempted by the devil. We also learned that in order to overcome the temptations of the evil one, we need to surrender not to the devil, but to God and his will. And that's what Jesus did. And so on this Sunday of the church year, we call Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, we see our Savior Jesus Christ. Humbly riding on a donkey on his way to give his life as a ransom for us all. And so we are going to talk about humility today. I'll start by telling you what humility and pride are. I believe it's sometimes easiest to understand humility by juxtaposing it with pride. A renowned theologian says, Pride is our greatest enemy. Conversely, humility is our greatest friend. Secondly, pride is in its origin and practice demonic and Satan. If you read Isaiah and understand that passage as referring to Satan, he was, injuri- he was originally an angel created by God, and he became very proud. That was the first sin, and he was kicked out of heaven. He tempted our first parents with pride and not listening to the Heavenly Father and Creator, and they sinned. We inherited a tendency to pride in our sinful nature. So, if you even see a hint of humility in a person, it's an absolute miracle because by nature, we're not. We're not humble. Thirdly, pride is the encouragement to compare ourselves to other people. And we tend to pick people that we feel are less intelligent, less successful, less affluent, less attractive. Humility... Is continually comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ and so if you struggle with pride in your life compare yourself to Jesus and that will help keep you humble number four pride covets the success of other people when they succeed we become jealous and envious and covetous that's why sometimes we'll critique people when they succeed we can get jealous humility allows us to not covet the success of other people, but to celebrate to celebrate it, to, to rejoice in it and be glad that God is using them. Fifthly, pride is about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. It's about what I think. It's about what I feel. It's about what I declare. It's about what I deserve. Humility is about Jesus, and it's about other people. And humility allows someone to be selfless, Whereby their natural inclination would be to remain selfish. Six, pride is about my glory. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you respect me? Do you honor me? Do you praise me? Do you like me? Do you want to be like me? Humility is about the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you honor jesus do you respect jesus do you want to be like jesus in pride number seven i am god little g god i sit on a throne and i make commands and i expect people to obey and honor me humility is not being god but it's about celebrating the fact that the real god has loving, lovingly served me number eight Pride leads to arrogance, smugness, and it's offensive. Humility leads not to arrogance, but to confidence. Confidence meaning I won't deny my convictions, I won't disagree with Scripture, I won't dishonor Jesus, I'm confident in what is right and wrong, I'm confident in what's true and false, I'm confident in what God has me to be and say and do, and not be and not say and not do, But it is not arrogance, it is confidence. Some people get confused about humility and they think humility is responsible for, like, compromise. And in fact, only someone who is truly humble can have deep conviction and not compromise because they're worried about God more than they are worried about themselves. Nine, the point of pride is independence. We see this in Satan who wanted to be separated from God. We see that as sinners, where we want to live independently of God and doing what we want, humility is not about independence, it's about dependence. It's about acknowledging that we're, we're created and God's creator, and that we are dependent on God for love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion and instruction and correction and help. And so the humble person seeks in no way to be independent. They acknowledge their dependence on God and their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Tenthly, Augustine, the great church father, says rightly that pride is the mother of all sin. That pride is pregnant with all kinds of sins. That pride is the root sin that leads to the fruit of sin... Which would mean, conversely, that humility is the mother of all joy. And that's what Paul teaches us. That humble people are the only ones who truly truly have the possibility of being happy and content people. And 11. Pride is something that you and I can achieve in this lifetime. We can be proud. We can achieve this objective. And humility is something that we must continually pursue throughout this life. Humility is not something that we achieve fully in this life. It's something that we pursue. That's why no one can say, I am proud to report that I am now humble. Can't ever say that. You can't write a book saying, now that I've achieved humility, here are seven steps to, to humility. That would be offensive. That's foolish. All we can say is, by God's grace, I'm a proud person, but I'm pursuing humility. Now, the reason we are so proud is that in our very nature as fallen sinners is to be proud, to be rebellious and stiff-necked and hard-hearted and self-righteous. So we get it from our nature, but we also get it from our environment, because we live in a world that is absolutely encouraging nothing but selfish pride. Western civilization is continually purposeful, refocusing our attention on pride and not humility. Next time you're listening to an athlete or a musician or a celebrity or a politician, ask yourself, are they advancing the value and virtue of humility? This goes all the way back to the time of the Greeks, before the birth of Jesus, all the way back to the all the way to the present, the cultural narratives and stories which we have as the basis of the introduction of the values and the virtues of Western civilization, they focus on pride, not humility. I'll give you just one quick example. There's a very lengthy book called The Book of Virtues. It is a collection of stories from history of Western civilization that you can read to your children to build virtue into them. The one virtue that is not included in that book is humility. Because in Western civilization, pride is a virtue and humility is a vice. Yet, in the scriptures and in the life of Jesus, pride is a vice and humility is the virtue. My point outside of the scripture, humility is not to be found, it is not to be encouraged. Our world exists for self help, self esteem, self love, self actualization, not for humility, not for love of God and others. And so we turn today to the pages of the book of Philippians in the Bible, chapter 2. And in here we find something that is absolutely countercultural instruction on humility. And so we must rebel against our sinful nature, against our culture, against Western civilization. Paul gives us great encouragement and instruction regarding humility. Everything leads to it and flows from it. Furthermore, it is one of the most, if not the most, significant section of the New Testament on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Humility and Jesus Chapter 2, Paul writes to his friends at the church of Philippi, whom he had not seen in four years, and this is what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing. That is very important statement. Do nothing, nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, and there's our word, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's Paul's point, first point. Nothing builds a church, nothing builds a church stronger and surer than humility and nothing breaks and destroys a church faster than pride now let me tell you this church is like every church the bible likens a church to a human body human bodies can be very frail that health is gained slowly and lost quickly pride works itself out he says here in rivalry and conceit. Rivalry means you're in competition for resources, information, power, title. Conceit, you're jealous of other people in the church. This is for Christians, and he's warning them of pride. So Paul says, do nothing out of rivalry and conceit. Rather, the church must have a posture of humility. And humility, he defines for us as this, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And what he says is this, proud people only care about what they care about. Humble people think of everyone. Proud people think of themselves. And Paul says that humble people are given this insight from God, where they have a broader perspective. They're not single-issue voters that only care about their issue and their service and their leader and their mission and their ministry and their gifts and their feelings and their wants and their needs and their demands. Not single issue, but broad worldview. God's perspective on things. This doesn't mean that you always agree with the leaders and the decisions they make. This doesn't mean that you sort of quietly, passively ignore things that you believe to be wrong. That's not what it means. But it does mean that your methods and your motives and your tone and your tactics and your attitudes and your actions count and that the ends don't justify the means. Paul would say, it's not the motive and the method and the mission. It is. They all count. You can't pursue a good thing in a bad way and expect God to be well-pleased. In addition to a good cause, you must have the humility to go about it in a good way. That's what he's saying. Now, the only way we can truly continually see our own pride and deal with it is to look to Jesus. And compared to him, we must all say, whoa, I'm proud. But is it possible, by God's grace, to pursue humility? And the only way to pursue humility is that you and I would not work out of rivalry and conceit, thinking that we're smarter than everyone else and better than everyone else, and the world would be a better place if people just did what we told them. But if in humility we we look to Jesus, and in looking to Jesus we see our own pride and we deal with it humbly. So Paul lifts up, For us, Jesus as the most humble person who has ever lived or will ever live. And in verse 5, 6, and 7, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, only Christians have the ability to really understand humility. Not because we're better than anyone else, but because it's only to be found in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or fought for or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in likeness of men. And what he's saying is this. No one is more humble than Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates that in what we call the Incarnation. I know it's a theological term. Incarnation means God became a man. God, who is spirit, takes upon himself physical body so that he has fingers and toes, etc. Jesus takes on a human body. God became a man in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Creator entered into creation. Timeless, eternal enters into time. Omni, present everywhere enters into a place, seated on a throne, chooses to be born in a barn, surrounded by angels in glory, comes to be disrespected, mocked, and abused by sinners. Living in heaven comes to live in poverty on the earth and to suffer as the man of sorrows. And what he is saying is that that Jesus is the most humble person who has ever and will ever live. Jesus set aside his divine attributes, to fully identify with us and save us. This doesn't mean that Jesus lost anything when he became a human being. Augustine says that he maintained his divinity as God and he added to it humanity, or he became a human being. Paul says this in verse 8, speaking of Jesus, he says, And being found in human form, God became a man, he humbled himself, Jesus Christ, God humbled himself. And one of the reasons I know the Bible is true is that you and I would never never have invented a humble God. Our God is the most humble God, and one of the most distinguishing features of God in the Bible is humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This, by the way drives the Muslims crazy. They can't grasp a God who would humble himself. But that is exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the most humble person, and his death on the cross is the most humble event and act in the history of the world. Romans 5, I believe it's verse 8, says it this way. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us God left glory and became humble God left his throne and was born in a barn God left worship by angels to be continually disrespected by stiff necked stubborn unrepentant and self-righteous and proud people like us and how did we respond when God left all that glory and came to earth how did we respond while we murdered him. That's how proud we are. Not only that Jesus, who is God, allowed me, allowed us to murder him, that's how humble he is in dying so humble that he died for me that I might have salvation and love and reconciliation with God who made me. Incredible. Not only did Jesus humble himself in becoming a man, he humbled himself to die on a cross. And in dying on the cross, he died in such a way as to be my substitute and pay the penalty of death for my sin. The great exchange is this. All of my sin goes to Jesus and all of his perfection is given to me. My condemnation goes on Jesus and his salvation comes to me. My separation from God goes to Jesus and his reconciliation with God is given to me. That my pride is laid on jesus and his humility is laid on me and god is so good that in dying for me he forgives me and gives me a new life and forgives all of my sins it's absolutely astonishing therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the singular only Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's the bottom line Your name really doesn't matter that much. My name really doesn't matter that much. The name of Jesus, that matters. We will be miserable if we live for the glory of our own name. We will be full of joy if we live for the name of Jesus. And that is what I love about Jesus. He's not only our example of humility, but he enables it in us by taking away our sin and pride and giving us his Holy Spirit and continually convicting us of our sin and giving us the ability to change only through the power of God. I want to share with you as someone who, though teaches you and is learning these things himself, so here is some great wisdom from the wisdom literature of the Bible that has helped to keep people humble. Proverbs 6, 16 17. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Look what's first on the list. Haughty or proud eyes. Proverbs 8, 13. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God hates proud people. Secondly, God humiliates proud Plan A is always humility. Plan B is always humiliation. Either way, the lesson will be learned. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart, and God knows your heart, is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Some people are very smart, very competent, very skilled, and yet very frustrated because they're not successful. What they seek to accomplish continually fails. They may may even have a good mission where they're trying to serve God and do something that is a good idea, but if their motives are based in pride and their methods are based in pride, and their tone is based in pride and their tactics are based in pride and their actions are based in pride and their attitudes are based in pride, God is going to allow them to fail. Some people do not need a better plan or a better strategy or more work. Some just need more humility. Here's a terrifying verse in James chapter 4. Verse 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, these two places, they both declare, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So Jesus is in heaven, seated in glory as we speak, doing two things, opposing proud people, giving grace to humble people. So in closing, I'm going to give you 10 recommendations, and I share them with you as various ways with the help of the Holy Spirit to clothe yourself in humility with the help of the Holy Spirit. First, follow the truth wherever it leads. Follow the truth. If it means it leads to you're wrong, then follow it. If it leads to you're fired, then follow it. If it leads to that's not what's best for you, but it's best for all, then follow it. If it leads to, you need to apologize, then follow it. Don't defend yourself. Don't always do what is in your best interest. Follow the truth wherever it leads. Secondly, invite and pursue correction and counsel. Tell the people in your life, I'm blind to my own blindness. I'm foolish to my own folly. I need you to help. To confront me, I need you to speak the truth and love to me. When I'm acting like bad, I need you to say it. I need you to give me counsel because sometimes I don't know what to do. I need correction because sometimes I say and do the wrong thing. And then receive it. Don't fight it. Don't argue. Don't blame shift. Don't change the topic. Just receive correction. Be thank God you get it. Thirdly, learn from everyone, including your enemies and critics. Yep. Have the humility to overlook their pride because God may have something that is truthful for you if you're humble enough to overlook their pride. Fourth, repent quickly and thoroughly. Don't force it to be an enormous issue where multiple people have to get involved. Don't make someone pin you to the mat and break your arm before you tap out. Just admit it. I sinned. I was wrong. I screwed up. I'm so sorry. Make it simple. Five, seek and celebrate God's grace at work in other Christians. Because God is at work in other Christians. Look for it. Encourage it. Nurture and encourage God's grace at work in others. Six, cultivate the spirit of thankfulness. Be thankful for people and tell them to be thankful to God. Seven, listen to scripture more than yourself. I mean, we can lie to ourselves, deceive ourselves, con ourselves, condemn ourselves, justify ourselves. Don't listen to yourself so much. Listen to the scripture. God will speak to you truthfully through his word. He will. Eight, exalt the name of Jesus in all you do. The right answer to every question is whatever makes Jesus look great, because he is, and you'll never regret it. Nine, laugh. Proud people have real trouble laughing. They're way too serious, and they cannot laugh at themselves. Ten, sleep. Sleep like a Christian. Pursue humility. Repent. Exalt the name of Jesus, and then go to bed and sleep. Proud people don't sleep well. They're wondering, what are other people saying about me? What are other people thinking about me? What are other people doing about me? How will they perceive me? How will they respond to me? Will I win? Will I lose? Humble people pray, God, teach me humility. I'm going to bed now, and I trust you to work it out when you feel it's the right time. Humble people sleep differently than proud people. In conclusion, I'm so glad that Jesus is our God and Savior. And in that, I find so much hope for the future. So the question today is not, will we grow? The question is, will we grow in humility? And I pray that we do. We have the very best example in Jesus Christ, and even more importantly, the only one, Jesus Christ, who can save us from our sinful and proud self. His name is Jesus, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.